At this bank, you can make deposits, but withdrawals, not so much. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. It's been one year since Hurricane Harvey battered the Houston and Gulf Coast regions, and in some areas, recovery has been monumentally slow. The Washington Post reports that the pace is due to the extent of the storm and also the fact that a majority of households did not have flood insurance. Some people are living in moldy, unfinished homes, and some are still in motels. Nearly one in three people who lived through the massive storm say their lives remain upended, and more than 40 percent say they're not getting the help they need to rebuild. While people along the Gulf try to cope, Texas is seeking at least $12 billion from the federal government to build a wall to protect oil and gas facilities. The plan would use concrete seawalls, earthen barriers, and steel levees along 60 miles of the coast, and the Associated Press explains it would also protect homes and ecosystems. Some make the argument that protecting petroleum facilities is a matter of national security. Others, however, see Texas dominated by climate-denying politicians and object to using taxpayer dollars to protect the very industry that is causing sea level rise. Plastic bottles and straws have been in the news for contaminating waterways, but a new problem is coming into view, disposable contact lenses. They're now found in significant numbers in wastewater treatment plants after users send them down sinks or toilets. The use of disposables is increasing. Rolf Halden of Arizona State University, who wears contact lenses, started to wonder what happens to them after their useful life is over. He and two others at the university first surveyed people who wear disposable lenses, and then they looked at wastewater facilities. Once at treatment plants, lenses are broken down into microplastics. They can accumulate in sludge or get washed into surface waters. They pose a potential threat to aquatic animals and plants, and they can also absorb and transport other pollutants. The researchers estimate that between 6 and 10 metric tons of plastic lenses end up in U.S. water treatment plants each year. They note that the proper way to dispose of the lenses is to throw them into solid waste containers instead of sending them down the sink or toilet, something he adds that consumers should be told on contact lens packaging. The outlook for the Colorado River is not good. A shortage may have to be declared, so every drop is being watched carefully. Some of those drops, actually about 3.6 million acre-feet of them, are stored underground in the Arizona Water Bank. But the Arizona Daily Star reports that while the system for making deposits into that bank is working, there is not a method to make withdrawals for about 25% of the water stored. In other words, few wells or other infrastructure are in place in urban areas to pump much of it out of the ground. There are some facilities already existing, mostly near Tucson, but not in Phoenix and its surrounding suburbs. Tony Davis of The Star writes that there are major questions about recovering the banked water, such as how will it be recovered, who will do it, and where. Also, how much will it cost? The water banking started in the late 1990s by filling underground sand and gravel basins with Colorado River water. And according to Katherine Sorensen of the Phoenix Water Department, there's no specific plan to get it out. 
There's just a plan to make a plan, which lacks the certainty that cities need. There are other problems with the planning. One storage area has been known to contain high levels of arsenic and fluoride, which could cost up to $200 million to treat. Officials are now trying to put a detailed plan together, and there are hopes it could be finalized by the end of the year. At least 100 nuclear power stations in the U.S., Europe, and Asia could be threatened by flooding caused by sea level rise and more frequent storm surges. The danger flooding poses was seen in Fukushima in 2011. It can knock out electrical systems that control the cooling process, leading to meltdowns and the release of radioactive contaminants. NCA reports that a number of papers published this year suggest that climate change will impact coastal nuclear plants earlier and harder than the industry, governments, or regulatory bodies have expected. One researcher said that when most U.S. plants were built, there was no consideration of climate change, and when they were planned, it was during a period of calm without major storms. In the U.S., there are nine nuclear plants that are within three kilometers of the ocean, and four of them are vulnerable to storm surges and rising seas. And finally this week, The Battle of Waterloo marked the final defeat of Napoleon Bonaparte, who conquered much of Europe in the early 19th century. And although his loss was blamed on tactical errors and indecisiveness, another factor is getting renewed attention, the bad weather that happened right before the battle. Historians have long suggested that heavy rains the night before bogged down Napoleon's troops and artillery in thick mud. And now, according to a new study, Napoleon can blame a volcano some 12,000 kilometers away for the soggy conditions. Indonesia's Mount Tambora erupted two months before the Battle of Waterloo, plunging the earth into what was deemed a year without summer in 1816. Research by Matt Gange of Imperial College London says that the volcano might have been Napoleon's undoing. His study published in the journal Geology found that eruptions shoot ash higher into the atmosphere than previously thought, which can change global weather. It does that because the ash short-circuits the electrical current of the ionosphere, the upper level of the atmosphere where clouds form. According to the study, disturbed electrical currents cause unusual levels of cloud formation, which right before that fateful battle brought heavy rain across Europe, weather that changed the course of history. That's it for This Week in Water. We'll see you next time. This Week in Water is supported by the American Water Works Association, highlighting the latest cost-effective strategies to manage aging infrastructure at the Water Infrastructure Conference and Expo, October 28th to 31st in Atlanta. Learn more at awwa.org forward slash H2O Infocon.